Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. Coffee counts for water, by the way. Coffee does, but I can't have the caffeine. Oh, okay, okay. I lost that argument recently when I was like, no, the caffeine negates it. Like, caffeine is Mm -hmm. a dehydrator, so it negates the water. And Lacey Mm -hmm. was like, you are incorrect about this. And I was like, (laughs) I am rarely incorrect about these kinds of things. And she said, nevertheless, and upon some Googling, she was correct. I was wrong about this one. And I have no problem admitting that, especially because... Now I'm hydrating when I drink coffee. Like, there was no lose for me in this argument. That's awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, I was under the impression that the caffeine would uh, would dehydrate you a little, too. I think it does a little bit. But, yeah. like, the net, the net is hydration, you know, with coffee. So. Yeah, right, well, right. You to net that. towards hydration. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're drinking some kind of ridiculous, like, super caffeination coffee, which, like gang pump the brakes like you can just yeah you can just get a couple hours more sleep at that point like <laughs> make good life choices <laughs> make good life choices who does that speaking <laughs> of bad life choices let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the people in our comic this week I'm yeah. trying to think who had i'm trying to make this segue work and i'm like well cap's not making bad life choices Who's oh i disagree bad life choices in the flashback Carpoff? In the flashback, there are some the very questionable yeah. life choices that we can chat about. <laughs> uh, once I give this little yes. summary, let me jump right into that. In Captain America Winter Soldier number five, a present day conversation between Cap and Nick Fury uncovers the existence of Alexander Lucan and his involvement in the Red Skull's death, not to mention the disappearance of the Cosmic Cube and assorted other shenanigans. While musing on why Lucan is doing anything that he's doing, Captain America takes a trip down memory lane to Cronus, a village in the USSR that didn't survive a run in with Hydra and the Red Skull during the Second World War. We're introduced to the invaders and Masterman, but more to the point, we see how Lucan and his mentor first met. And at least, we may have an inkling of not just what Lucan is up to, but why his beef with Steve Rogers is so damn personal. We wrap up with Cap heading off to try and confirm some part of his memories, as well as exaggeratedly sarcastic gasp, Nick Fury is keeping (laughs) secrets even from Captain America. Wow. So awesome summary. Um, I, I especially like your sarcastic gasping at the idea that uh, that Fury might be keeping a secret. Well, who could foresee it? It's so out of left field. It's so out of character for the man. Exactly. It absolutely is. Um, all right. So this week we have um, like another big exposition dump. As a matter of fact, I would say that that most of this story is actually happening in the past. Yes. Um, but the thing is, is that really, like, if you're talking about exposition, like, again, exposition is a necessary evil to storytelling and trying to do it in the most elegant way possible is is great. Um, but sometimes a flashback can actually earn its space by being its own parallel story. And I think uh-huh. that's the situation that we have in this issue is that we're bumping, you know, from now to then but in then we are actually we're not just remembering stuff for the purpose of having the information right we're actually living through a story for cap mm-hmm. um and learning about you know in in the process of, of experiencing that story getting some of that exposition getting some of that that background um and understanding um you know karpov um, and yes. uh, and getting a, a first sight of little Alexander Lucan. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. I think also what's what's nice is, and they, there's no lampshade hung on this, but I think that some of the things we talked about being themes for this going forward mm-hmm. wind up being part of the flashback. Like the fact that, mm-hmm. let's just nicely say, compromises are made. You know, ideals <laughs> are set aside in order to get the job done. Which is mm-hmm. an ongoing issue for Steve in the present. It's a question of where the line is, you know, that we keep kind of brushing up yeah. against. It's it's mm-hmm. always there, right? Like all through this, where is the line keeps being the question, but it's a question no one is specifically asking. 
It's there for yeah. us to ask. Mm -hmm. Nobody, in, with the exception of Sharon going, could you pump the fucking brakes and not cripple all of our suspects? You know, with the right. exception of that, no one's really asking the where is the line and are we over it question. Well, I think Cap does challenge Karpov on that. Um, in and the past. there's the guy who kills his cousin. Yeah, in the past. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have that in the past, but not in the present. Um, and it's a really interesting question to ask because it's one of those subtextual questions. As you're watching the movies and the superhero stories and all of that, we are seeing superheroes do a fair bit of damage, uh, not just to the villains, but often to the people who just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that ends up because we are are, you know, fighting the good fight for the ultimate good. Um, we use, you know, human beings that are losing their lives in the story as, you know, what they like to call collateral damage, which mm -hmm, is a really mm -hmm. difficult term, I think, because, you know, like casualty is also a very difficult term because it fails to acknowledge the fact that these are people, these are innocent people who are just caught in the crossfire. But because that crossfire is taking down a really bad guy who would then go on murder and maim even more people, it does feel like we're asking that question, like, you know, if it's a net good, then is that okay? Is this acceptable? Like, under what circumstances... Is this kind of, you know, and a casual, you know, loss of innocent life, something that we just accept and don't talk about? So when you have a superhero comic that is actually interested in asking that question and examining those lines, all of this becomes so much more interesting. And I feel like, you know, textually in these issues in this run, um, we are interested in asking that question no I, I i agree and and captain america is uh as a character very uniquely placed i think to ask those mm -hmm. questions because before he was a superhero he was a soldier with just a really mm -hmm. colorful uniform you know um <laughs> when we talked yeah. about the first avenger the movie captain america the first avenger i was like i don't love him running around with guns and i like it better when it was him and bucky kid sidekick we'll talk about that more in a minute mm -hmm. than having oh, the yes, whole howling commandos you know mm -hmm. with him um because it made him a little too military but at the same time i have to recognize he's a super soldier that was the point and whatever he's doing in the present that feels more like a superhero thing in the past, he was a man in a war and had to do, mm -hmm. you know, wartime stuff, which always trends towards the questionable. Like, let's just be honest, you know, difficult, yeah. difficult yeah. decisions, air quotes, have to be made all the time. So, yeah, you know, um, and it is in service of winning the war and oftentimes in war. I mean, very rarely do we see, you know, very clearly one bad side and one good side. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of propaganda. There's a lot of storytelling going on. And the reality of the situation is probably a lot more muddy than that with, with some glaring exceptions. Um, yeah, I found this issue to be um, to be really interesting, really engaging. And I would give it an exposition pass on the parallel stories because I think we're, we're okay there. And that I was wanting to ask you a question as story mm -hmm. expert. That is the seat... Mm -hmm in which you sit here is that last <laughs> issue. And I, th I think this is actually pretty clever. We're going to get two exposition mm -hmm. dumps, but we're going to get them in very different ways. Right. Yes. And so mm -hmm. uh, usually you and I are not big fans of the flashback, but as mentioned, this mm -hmm. one actually has its own internal narrative that mm -hmm. parallels and reflects, if not directly interacts with the present. Right. Yes. Um, so asking you, and I think I already know the answer, which would you prefer? Would you prefer a lot of talking or did you like <laughs> a good flashback better as far as an exposition dump? I mean, I think that if you have to if you have to get into very deep levels of exposition, which happens in in situations like this where you have a lot of history and also in, in you know, stories where there is a, a, a lot of world building, like we need to understand yes. how the world works, at least to a certain extent. So I think that it, you, this is your toolbox, right? If mm -hmm. you have enough um, to go back, do a flashback, but tell a parallel story in right. that flashback that reflects on the current. I think that's your best bet. 
generally that's the best way to get the information across that you need to get because you're still telling a story. And especially when that flashback story reflects upon the themes and ideas that are in the now, right. I think you're good and good to go. Um, in this situation, we have Cap's flashbacks that are actually actively antagonizing him. Somebody has put mm-hmm. these memories mm-hmm. and altered them in his head. So his flashbacks, while also being, you know, expository, are part of the now story because that's something that's he's true. struggling with. That's so I true. think you get a yeah. pass on that. Um, the only other kind of exposition that we have here is this talky exposition like we were talking in the last episode about Sharon and Fury having that conversation about Jack Monroe and all of that history, right? That is probably the clunkiest method. Yeah. Um, but you could study at the feet of Ed Brubaker how to do that efficiently. When you got to do it, how to do that super efficiently. I still can't believe that all that information got across in less than one page because they were still doing other things on that page. It was pretty masterful. Two separate pieces of exposition because we had the yes. one with Sharon and Nick and we also had the one with uh, with Cap and the guy at the cemetery. And yeah. and you're mm-hmm. still just like, yeah, no, I basically got it. I mean, debriefs mm-hmm. are so easy for this, right? Like yes. they're literally mm-hmm. part of the, we expect them. They're part of the genre that right. we're going to get a debrief, mm-hmm. which covers Nick and Sharon. But oh, by the way, here's Cap who just decides to have a moment of connection with somebody at a cemetery because mm-hmm. he is a man in need of a moment of connection at that point. Anyway, yeah, they're both really well done. Um, but I was, mm-hmm. I think I prefer the flashback for a lot of the reasons that, that you bring mm-hmm. up, like um, to kind of use like some, some poetry ideas, like the idea that the flashback can rhyme with the present. Like it doesn't have to directly yes. reinforce, but that there is mm-hmm. some of the same like stuff going on under the hood. I really like that. I think it's more, it's got more story juice, you know, than just uh, even even knowing you're, you're taking advantage of the debrief in the genre. It's still got more moxie yeah. with a flashback. So excellent. Yeah, but you're right. Just for both of them. Here's Ed Brubaker. Learn something. Okay, so now that I have mastered what is cover art and what is not cover art, um, on this issue, we have Cap flying out from what looks like a charred old European town. Of course, we're going to discover that it's exactly that uh, with two fiery dudes behind him. Although I guess Namor isn't fiery. It's just the human torch is kind of lighting everything in the light of his being on fireness. And if there are um, two well, flaming guys, that's also Toro, the human torch's sidekick. We'll talk about him in a little while. Oh, I am very excited to get some little background on that. Uh, but we've got the Nazi and Soviet flags flying behind them. Um, and it's war poster iconic imagery, you know, good guys fighting the good fight. But there is something, and especially as we see this happen, we find out what exactly that village is mm-hmm. and what happened mm-hmm. there. To see the charred, destroyed remains of a village um, and that that's what they're flying out of, I think really represents thematically exactly what, at what cost, I think is right. always the question that comes up with all of these heroic um, adventures. And so we're seeing this, you know, heroism in the top part. And then we see the charred village at the bottom. And the first question is, at what cost? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, it's really interesting that you immediately kind of dial in on that uh, war poster kind of propaganda mm-hmm. feel. Um but then there is this kind of like sinister shadow self to it in this charred town and that neither flag is in good shape. You know, they're both mm-hmm. in rough shape. And when we dig into the thing, we see compromises are made constantly by our supposedly heroic titular character. Mm-hmm. And there is absolutely a feeling where uh, it's a Pyrrhic victory at best, which is kind of the Russian way you come to find out. Like that's very much a part of the, uh, mm-hmm. Or at least the pop cultural ethos of of Russian culture, um, mm-hmm. but I think if you if you study any kind of um, uh, warfare in Russia, especially during World War II, like history bears that out too. They were just like, oh, are they coming? Just burn the crops and move twenty miles back. <laughs> oh, are they still coming? Burn the crops and move twenty miles back. Winter will be here mm-hmm. soon to save us. You know, uh, what will we eat? Mm -hmm. That's tomorrow's problem. Today's problem is burn the crops and move 20 miles back like that. Mm -hmm. They were just that was how they were going to win. And we see that we Mm -hmm. literally see that here Mm -hmm. in the dead of winter with uh, with the with 
Cronus with Cronus burning in the background. So, yeah. Con- big contrast right there on the cover. Absolutely. Um, all right. Now, interior art again. Uh, we've, you know, we've been at this place. The flashbacks are wonderful. I love the aesthetic of the flashbacks. I love the beauty of the snow over yeah. the charred remains of the village is so heartbreaking. Um, did you pick out anything um, interesting in, in this week's interior art? Well, the flashbacks are always done by a different artist. So this yes. this ep- mm-hmm. this issue is much more flashback than present. So we get a lot more of Lark's mm-hmm. work over Eptings. And they are not like wildly different, but they are different mm-hmm. enough that it's, yeah, the contrast is definitely there. And I just enjoyed getting, you know, whatever we got about 18 or 20 pages of Lark instead of Epting when it's been the yeah. other way around every other issue, I think. Yeah, no, it was really highlighting um, that particular art style. And I thought that it was it was beautifully done telling a story that was brutal and harsh. Mm-hmm. And there was something in that, uh, in the way that it was so beautiful um, combined with content that was so incredibly difficult. Um, so again, we, you know, we've talked a bit about the exposition of the story and how like it works in this case because we have, like it works really well in this case because we do have a flashback story that is entirely its own story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, really loved that. Um, but one of the things that I found kind of interesting in this thematically is the shadow side of our Captain America. Captain America, when you think of Captain America, it's shiny, it's glossy, it's all about that victory. It's all about winning and, you know, and he's out there just doing his thing. Here we are allowed to really talk about, again, like these things that become sort of subtext or extra textual, you know, for us as readers, at what cost. Um, And here we're seeing so much of the cost. We open up in the beginning of this flashback with one of the Russian soldiers immediately shooting guy in the head, just killing him dead, Yeah. right? And then they ask the question, and the soldier says, that's my cousin. Uh, yeah. He went to the other side. That's my cousin. And Bucky is horrified at this, like absolutely horrified at this. Um, we have Karpov uh, torturing the one remaining living soldier for information, and Cap is disgusted, right? Um, you know, but we started this whole story with Cap going too far with the terrorists right. he encountered. So now he, we see him becoming the thing that he hates. And of course, we do have a bit of Bucky's darkness. We're going to talk about that in more detail later because that really deserves a highlight. <laughs> There's a lot going on Um, there absolutely yeah so what did you think about all of this shadow side stuff well i mean i think it's i don't always think that that kind of interrogation of the superhero concept is appropriate or useful Mm -hmm. or necessary Mm -hmm. or wise i mean not always Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. as discussed captain america kind of can ride this in between space where he's had to be a soldier and where compromises have to be made and now in the Mm -hmm. present he's a superhero and now he does not compromise you know or compromises a lot less or when he does compromise you have close friends like sharon going you okay you know, like right. that's that's a contrast between Cap, the modern superhero and Cap, the World War Two super soldier. Um, so, yeah, like if and and as I've said about Brubaker and Epting before, like if you're going to make the cartoon characters for children carry all this kind of weight, these are the guys that can pull it off. They're they're doing yeah. it. Um, and mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, it's really interesting to see that uh, reflection in. Karpov versus Red Skull, because we've already had some kind of opposite number with Red Skull as the symbol. Yeah. You know, and now Mm -hmm. we're seeing it like boots on the ground. And um, yeah, it's just I'm going to tip my hand a little bit on one of my favorite story moments. But the fact that Cap has a a, a narration where he says um, this was normal for us, but I can't imagine what the Russians on the ground thought of people flying in the skies fighting. And then at the end, Mm -hmm. you have Karpov saying you have your soldiers you you have your super soldiers and doomsday weapons but all we have is our winter and Mm -hmm. one of the ways that opposite number villains really appeal to me is that they're usually very much like the hero but for one you know one thing fatal flaw i don't think that's karpov i don't think they're that Mm -hmm. parallel but as far as their position in the war him saying well yeah you're doing all this like big techno color you know, mm-hmm. high adventure stuff. I'm here doing the actual fucking work because that's what Russia does. <laughs> and in that respect, right. it's it's a subtle difference 
considering they're fighting the same war, that turns into a not so subtle difference at a character level. Anyway, I love it. Cap's shadow self in Karpov is good. I think it's I think it's really nice. Um, okay, so here was the shocking moment for me. <laughs> okay, I'm reading this and I have been working with you for some time. So I'm aware of the kid sidekick deal, right? Yes. Is that the kid sidekick was a character that was put in so that all the kids reading the comic books could feel and see themselves at Cap's side hanging out with Batman, like all of yep. those things, right? So the, the kid's the, A sidekick- much easier self-insert character. I don't know if I can be Batman, yes. but I could be Robin tomorrow. I could yeah. be Robin. Exactly. Exactly. So this is a, you know, a younger character um, who is in this circumstance. Um, and we have Bucky at the beginning, right? You know, the, the soldier shoots his cousin in the head, dead, 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 boom. Like, and Bucky is like, wait a minute, dude, right? Moments later, Bucky is suddenly a a shadow assassin. He is quietly <laughs> going in and brutally taking out the guys at the watch, right? Right. Um, so that they can attack in this town. Um, and as I'm reading this, I was like, wait a wait a what you know like we're having bucky do this and the thing is that this is a choice you could have always brought in another you know person like an unnamed assassin that we have have bucky standing behind cap and they're watching this happen um but watching it happen is different from doing it and being really good at it which means this is not bucky's first rodeo so here we have this kid who is going in and super murdering these dudes. (laughs) And I get it. Like, here's the thing. War is difficult and horrible. And there are choices that have to be made and things that people have to do that they would never, ever want to do. And I get all of that. But the thing is, is that when we're writing, like when you're writing something, there's still somebody making this deliberate choice for a reason. And so I just want to hear your perspective on a character who started out as this kid sidekick becoming something that has that much darkness. Um, first of all, is this is this the first time we've known Bucky like in the in the stories to be an assassin? Is this new information for somebody who's been reading these all along? Yeah, yes. This okay, is okay. now now okay, the slow darkening slash growing up slash you know, just the more adult Mm -hmm. take on superhero stuff has been going on uh, more or less since Mm -hmm. the mid sixties, like more or less since Marvel showed up and turned kids stories into young adult stories. And Mm -hmm. then we all just kept getting older and the people that read comics became the pros in comics. And Mm -hmm. there was a whole like, uh, these are literature, damn it. You know, kind of thing. You get your Watchmen, your Dark Knight Returns, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, so the slow darkening and adultening of superheroes is definitely a thing that's been going on. So I don't want to say this mm-hmm. is the first time that we've ever seen Bucky be really competent with a machine gun and some grenades and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that the idea of him being the shady, shadowy, murdering front guard, like the vanguard for mm-hmm. Captain America, doing the stuff that Cap can't be seen to do... That, I believe, is 100% new and a retcon for this issue. Um, Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, it's not that shocking. Uh, Well, I mean, let me rephrase. It is a shocking retcon. But when you get to know Uh what this story is doing, it's less surprising. Like, um, we've talked about how the reveal of uh, Bucky as the Winter Soldier is not something we can dance around at this point because this was 2005 and there's been a movie. But... It could not have been more shocking at the time. And so part of this is laying the track for Bucky as the Winter Soldier, that like all the Mm -hmm. skills he would have needed to be the Winter Soldier were already kind of there, which is not a thing we would have been expecting from 13-year-old Bucky, you know, Mm G-Cap, let's punch some Nazis, you know, (laughs) which is very much what we were Right. You know, before this. So we we do we're doing a much more like grim horrors of war story and mm-hmm. how that reflects into kind of a Cold War style, you know, take yeah. in the present. And G. Willikers Bucky is not going to fit at all, let alone as the eventual Winter Soldier. So in that respect, it's a good 
retcon, I think. Like, it's necessary for the story we're going to tell. Um, at the same time, there's always a part of my brain that's like, for God's sakes, just let the fucking cartoon characters for children stay cartoon characters for children. <laughs> I am well, of two minds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how old is Bucky exactly? Because, like, it, originally it was Cap and then Bucky was the... Um, you know, was the kid's sidekick. Um, so now Cap is, you know, in the war. Cap is in his 20s, right? Um, yeah, the feeling that I get is that uh, Steve was old enough to enlist, but was too sick yeah. to enlist. So he's at least right. 18, mm -hmm. you know. Right. And he spent mm -hmm. a year, let's say, lying mm -hmm. about his identity to try and get in the war. That's a little pulled from to the movie, but in. still. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. 1920 by the time he's Captain yeah. America. So if he's been doing this for a couple of years, yeah, early 20s. Uh, so how old is Bucky? If you go back to the old stuff, he's a teenager. Like he's a teenager. Okay. He grew up yeah. in army bases because his dad mm -hmm. was a high ranking military guy. And they moved around okay. a lot. And so he always was surrounded by soldiers. And I believe, if I remember correctly, his dad died. And he was just mm -hmm. sort of unofficially adopted by the last post that his dad was stationed at. Which, what the actual fuck, but okay. Like, we're just mm -hmm. trying to position a teenager where right. they can find mm -hmm. out Captain America's identity and become his sidekick. Because that's how he became yeah. his sidekick. Was like, oh, <laughs> Private Steve Rogers is actually Captain America. Guess you got to take me on your missions with you. <laughs> You know, that's it. <laughs> a so little bit if, of blackmail between friends. Yeah, sure. what is it? It's mm -hmm. fine. Um, so if you go back to the thing, he's like 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. Brubaker mm -hmm. is aging him up. In the last issue, you actually had Cap say something like, well, that was ridiculous because that guy was like 17 and Bucky was nearly 20 by the time uh -huh. he right. by the time he died. You know, he's nearly mm -hmm. 20. Um, so yeah. there's definitely an aging up of Bucky to make it less awful and egregious. Yeah, but even so, still you know, at yeah. 19, like that's, you know, 19 is technically adult. But as someone who has raised children who have been 19, I'm like, I, you know. I this is know. where a little That's World War II stuff territory. comes into. I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But let's remember, this is World War II where yeah. we were enlisting anybody who could fog a mirror and was 18 or could reasonably lie about being 18. <laughs> right. You had Fair tons enough. of Fair 16 enough. and 15-year-old yeah. kids lying about their age or using their older brother's name or something mm -hmm. to get to go mm -hmm. even when they were not old enough and even when they were old enough that's 18 yeah enjoy so the horrors young. of war yeah. you know yeah yeah that's it's it's really really stark and i thought that was a very interesting choice and um and it's it's you know kind of like i'm glad that the shock that i felt as somebody who is not as familiar with these stories is also shared by people who are familiar with these stories and maybe even a greater shock for people who are familiar um because they were expecting something entirely different from this and i think that that is um it's an incredibly bold choice yeah yeah, to absolutely. To do something like that. Um, and, and it does talk about, I mean, it brings in this, you know, what war does, you know, um, regardless of who is right and who is wrong. It is a devastating, horrifying experience that these young kids are, are, are going through. And Steve, even at, you know, 21, 22, that's still a lot. It ages you very, very quickly. Right. You know, right. I will say that like when you have experiences like that, when you're young, you grow up a lot faster. So 18 in one person is not 18 in another person. It depends on what the experiences are that you've had. Absolutely. Um, but Damn. Um, all right. So we go into this battle and we have um, these dudes who come by and uh, talk to Cap. And I was like, at first I was like, why is this dude just walking around in his underwear in the middle of a Russian winter? Like, what is going on with that? And then I realized, of course, that he was the human torch. Um, and Only as a woman in menopause, I have to say, like, I get it and I sympathize. He's not. The one who's who, not. Was, who was just wearing his underwear is not the human torch. He is not. Who Although is he? I, I vibe with you on the fact that Why I'm... Why did I get confused? Where did I come up with the human torch? Well, because said... Toro has been shivering the whole time in the winter. Oh. The human torch 
who is not a human being at all, is wearing a coat. But the guy who's walking around in his underwear is Namor the Submariner, Prince of Atlantis. I'm so confused. Okay, yeah, because we weren't, this was all stuff that was just kind of put on the page and it wasn't like deeply explained. Yes. Or even I seriously identified who was who in this circumstance. So I was running on assumptions here and I was completely wrong. Okay, so the torch who can light himself on fire. Yes. And keep himself warm seemingly in any circumstance is shivering and freezing. And Namor, who lives in water is fine is it because snow is water like what is going on okay got a couple why of is things. he why is he wearing just like why is he naked pretty much <laughs> oh goodness so many things to respond to <laughs> okay so the human I have torch. so many questions let me do the human torch first uh because i'll then toro and then submariner because i feel like that will yes, make the please. most sense so the okay. torch is wearing a jacket like he has a coat yeah. on but they also specifically say that toro his sidekick is the one who was shivering and that's because okay. the human torch is not a human being he's an android why do oh, they call okay. him the human torch because the name sounds cool that's it like there's I, okay yeah now, you have had a brush with this fellow before uh, when we talked uh-huh. about Captain America, the first Avenger, because they go to the Stark yes. Expo and there is a big uh-huh. glass case with kind of an android dude disassembled oh, in it that says yes. Dr. Phineas T. Horton's artificial man. Uh-huh. Phineas Horton is the inventor of the android that would become known as the Human Torch. And by a sort uh-huh. of defect, he is able to burst into flame. And at first he can't control it. He's very much one of those old uh, Marvel monster stories mm-hmm. where you get mm-hmm. powers, but it's actually bad for you, you know. Yeah. And um, but over time, he uh, gets control of it. Um, he fights the Submariner uh, over New York City, a fire versus mm-hmm. water kind of thing. Um, he finds himself a kid sidekick who is not a robot, who is an actual human being that bursts into flame because he is a mutant. Uh-huh. Like okay. a Marvel mutant, right? His parents were X-Men nuclear physicists. Kind of thing. Right. Sure. Well mm-hmm. before there are X-Men, but yes, the mutants. Okay. Uh so so that's the human torch who is not shivering because he's a fucking robot. But his kid sidekick, <laughs> who is a mutant human, that's a little bit of an oxymoron, but you're with me on this. Not a robot. Yeah. Uh right. is shivering because he A likes to be burst into flame and B is just a person in Russian winter. People who aren't Russian shiver, for God's sake. Why? Okay. Okay. But the person who is naked now is that Namor guy. the Submariner. Let's talk okay. about Namor the Submariner, also known as the Prince of Atlantis. Also not, not known. naked. He's wearing underwear. But he has he, a Speedo yeah, okay. on, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. So Namor is a half human, half Atlantean hybrid mutant. Okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, so he is a prince of Atlantis, but most Atlanteans in the Marvel Universe are blue skinned, more like, you know, you would expect from a fish or an undersea dwelling person. He is obviously Caucasian looking after his father. Right. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, he can breathe air, which most Atlanteans can't. Mm -hmm. He can breathe air and water. So that's part of his hybrid mutation. He also has wings on his ankles that let him fly. Don't think about it too hard. It's just a thing that happens. Um, And he is able to swim at superhuman speeds, even compared to other Atlanteans. And the big one is he is crazy pants strong. He is like Hulk strong as long as he's in water. He gets weaker the longer he's away from moisture. But still, just one of the legitimately physically most powerful beings in Mm -hmm. the Marvel Universe. Just when it comes to punching, that guy can really punch. He's always kind of been in this swimsuit speedo thing and not much else because he is naturally physically tough. Like he doesn't need armor. (laughs) He's kind of indestructible. Now, why is he not cold in the Russian winter? Do you know how cold it is at extreme depths in the ocean? Colder than a Russian winter. (laughs) So he just doesn't. So he's just used to it. He's adapted to living at the deepest depths of the ocean, which is part of why he's so physically tough also, right? Like he's withstanding those pressures. But Mm -hmm. he's just not cold in Russia because it's not as cold as, I don't know, the Marianas Trench. (laughs) Now, why is it always a Speedo? Because Namor, nobody loves Namor as much as Namor loves Namor. And he is just like, yes, I am, in fact, the most impressive physical specimen in the world. Check me out. All right. 
Okay. All right. That is all valuable information. Um, I'm very, very much enjoyed that. And thank you very much for that, that, you know, kind of refresher into four color facts, which I asked for in the script. And I was like, we need some four color facts on these guys, because I don't even know what to say. So now I know who everybody is. That's great. That the helps last thing you need, last thing you need yes. is that these were, uh, these were all characters that existed before Marvel was Marvel, right? Like these are, these are yes. during the forties when they're still timely and Atlas comics. Okay. Mm -hmm. In the sixties, when Marvel kind of started to make a comeback, I mentioned to you that most of, for instance, most of Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos, most of those stories, they're wartime stories, but they're written in the 60s, mm -hmm. like looking back. Right. You got mm -hmm. some of that with these characters also. They kind of retconned them into being a team. They all existed separately and were fighting Nazis at different ways and different times. They got retconned into a team called the Invaders. So mm -hmm. Namor, the Torch, Toro, Captain America, and Bucky, the five of them together are the invaders and operated in largely the Western Front as a unit. Okay. Yeah. So that's okay. why they're there. They knew it was going to be Hydra shit. So Cap was yes. like, I need the rest of the invaders. Let's go. All right. And that gives us our, you know, superhero team guys flying through the air, which um, is at such contrast with Karpov and the tools yeah. that he has available to him. Um, so here we have, you know, our villains, villains everywhere, right? Karpov is um, introduced and fleshed out in this backstory. He's really nicely constructed, um, you know, having the other Russian soldier put his cousin in the ground in the opening of the flashbacks sets the stage for this being a grim story so like the guy it's was a, a defector and i shot him in the head it's my cousin what it's a callback too yeah remember it's a callback how, too. remember how we were introduced to lucan oh right we were introduced yes. to lucan putting a bullet in the skull of the current red guardian and then yeah. insisting that he be buried with full honors because this is still our brother this is still our russian brother yeah. he's wrong-headed we have to kill him but we don't have to right. treat him poorly Oh, I love that. Uh -huh. That adds more depth to that. Very, very good. Um, and of course, like, you know, down in, in this uh, in this town, Red Skull is, of course, behind everything. He has his doomsday weapon. He's, you know, throwing everything and then like makes the big distraction so that he can get away. Um, and then we have, you know, in all of this, Karpov finding young Alexander Lukin. Yes. Right? crying over his mother's dead body and Karpov is all get over it kid you're Russian this is just how it is like that is a a point you know like that kid is going to grow up way fast he's like yeah. maybe I don't know 8 10 I think right. in this um it's just and it's it's such an interesting you know contrast with Bucky or maybe a repetition of Bucky Right. That's interesting. Is that here yeah. we have we're seeing how a kid like Bucky that can just like super murder all these people and yet still get horrified when this guy kills his cousin. You know, mm -hmm. um, he can do all of that because he saw too much too young, you know, and was right. involved in too much too young. Um, and here is this kid, you know, who is, you know, was just living in a village and then all of a sudden, explosions everywhere, everything on fire, people flying through the air, a man with a red skull and a doomsday <laughs> weapon. His mother is dead. Like, that is a lot. So getting that background on Lucan and bringing Lucan into, you know, giving him that context in the present day for everything that's going on. Um, it is it is a lot. Yes. It is intense. And it brings us down to, like, if you use for the greater good, can't you justify pretty much anything? You know, yes. isn't that what Karpov did? Isn't that what <laughs> Lukin is doing? And that question, I think, is at the heart of what this story is about. Like, where do you draw the line when you're looking at, quote unquote, for the greater good? It's a really interesting question. And I would like to draw really stark lines between 
World mm-hmm. War II cap and modern cap, except we can't. Those lines were literally yeah. blurred in the first couple of issues before we knew we needed them. So well done right. again, Brubaker, you bastard. Yeah. You just twist <laughs> us up before we even know we're getting twisted yeah. up. But I think that's a really useful and interesting question. And I think also having a character that is literally long lived, like Captain America, mm-hmm. allows us to take a look at some of these questions in terms of like generational trauma, generational yeah. evil. Um, Mm -hmm. like Lucan has essentially declared war on Steve Rogers in the present over something that happened when he was eight years old, that Lucan happened to Lucan when he was eight years old on behalf of his mentor, as much as on behalf of himself. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it is personal, but also really not like you're clearly, you know, uh, yeah. late middle age, like you have all of this time between when that tragedy happened. You're actually more angry at Steve on behalf of your mentor than yourself, even though it was your village. Like, it's really complicated. Like, where where is the line? And I think that the Karpov and Lucan answer is there isn't one like mm-hmm. the And, and especially in Lucan's case, like, uh, I feel like he had a, a line per se that Mother Russia was the greater good. Right. Mm-hmm. Whatever I have to do for Mother Russia is the greater good. But when the USSR fell. And then he's just at loose ends and he's like, I guess me, I guess I'm the greater good, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And you have like young Captain America standing there while someone is tortured. I'm uncomfortable with this. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Um, Very topical for 2005, by the way, when we were in the thick of 24, the television show and and really having to have Mm -hmm. a lot of conversations about Gitmo and our pop cultural Mm -hmm. response to that and all that. Yeah, it's can you justify anything? Yes, obviously. You can justify anything and it's mm-hmm. should be terrifying. I think the underlying yeah. there's a there's a subtext here where the answer is yes, you can justify anything for the greater good. And that should be absolutely terrifying. And I don't think America or Americans treat it like it is as often as they should. Well, I think America does the same thing. That's what, yes, exactly. You know, I mean, we, you know, we subscribe to that. It's, it's the greater good. And what will you do, you know, in service of the quote unquote greater good that you've also decided. But one of the things that I find just absolutely beautifully resonant here is that this, you know, whole run has been, you know, really focused on Cap's unprocessed trauma. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and what it's doing to him. And then if you have a kid like Lucan, um, exactly what opportunity is this kid going to have in that environment to process any trauma? Like, that shit's oh, not going to happen. Yeah, and no. unprocessed trauma leads to this kind of stuff, you know, where it's just the, you know, you are feeling that experience over and over and over again and you serve something that has meaning to you mm-hmm. and if you you know and it's a it's like basically you know a, a way to create a situation where for the greater good justifies anything and anything that you do is okay um because it serves you know, vengeance, it serves a sense of justice. Um, the things that were terrible that happened to you need to be avenged. I mean, for God's sakes, they're the Avengers for fuck's sake. Right. right? That is unprocessed trauma in a box, in a label. It is about avenging the trauma, you know? Um, I, I find that once you start pulling at these threads, that sweater just comes apart piece by piece, thread by thread, you know? Um, and I feel like that's deliberately done here that we are, yes, this is really what this is about is talking about this, like what trauma does, how we respond to it, what we will do, you know, after having experienced it, if we're not willing to process it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it is very difficult to process it, especially for men, if you're looking at this time era in which, you know, men don't cry, men don't feel, don't talk about your feelings. Like that is basically a Petri dish for, you know, for a lot of really, really dark shit. Um, So yeah, I just, the whole thing, I think is fascinating in every issue we read my respect for Brubaker like climbs exponentially oh yeah I'm seeing what's what's being done here and how deliberate it is and how it's talking about things you know in its subtext um that are are very deeply resonant in every single story they tell yes and 
Uh, all of that is true. Like, like they're doing some masterful work here with these kinds of questions that if you tug too hard on could unravel all mm-hmm. of superhero stories. Like, that's one reason that I think they work better for kids most of the time mm-hmm. as metaphor, you know, as fairy tale, action fairy yeah. tale kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get somebody who really knows what they're doing and who is really doing it, you mm-hmm. get amazing stuff out of it. Um, if there's been a place where that is dangerous to superhero stories as a whole, it's that you have a handful of people who do that really well. And then you get a bunch of yahoos who are like, yeah, that's easy. I'll just keep doing it. And then it's like, no, yeah. you guys are actually bad at this. And you're you're unraveling the thing. They were asking mm-hmm. questions. They were, um, I mean, Alan Moore's right. Watchmen and Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns were huge for this in the mid 80s. And then you got a bunch mm-hmm. of copycats who only kind of understood what they were doing. And it just becomes grim and gritty and gross. And it's just grim for grim's sake. Right. right? Yeah. And for, that's for, not for doing value. what they're doing. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, and I can see that being very frustrating for somebody who is such a fan of the genre. Yes. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. and that's the other thing is that like when I rail against this kind of thing, people are like, but what about Miller? What about Brubaker? What about Moore? And I'm like, yeah, that's three. For every yeah. one of those, I've got two dozen guys that hacked it out and Mm -hmm. when you have two dozen guys hacking it out and only a few virtuosos doing it well which one of those takes do you think is going to stick right so that's that's Mm -hmm. kind of the 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 dualistic headspace i live in there because clearly this is awesome and is asking good questions that it may or may not answer but it's asking them in a way Mm -hmm. that makes us ask them which is the real point yes that's the art which is absolutely the point yeah Mm -hmm. God, this is such a good read. I'm it so excited is. about finishing this up. And you know what is awesome that I've just realized is that we're stopping at issue six, but I bought the whole book. So from there, I don't have to wait week to week. I can just read the whole thing. I'm really, yeah, yeah. I will be interested to see what you do there because I plan on coming back to this on mm-hmm. In the Gutters. Like we we don't want to be turn this into a Captain Ooh. America show. But I do want to show you that when the best stuff is happening in superhero comics, it's usually over a run, right? Mm -hmm. That can be years long in the right hands, right? So I do want to come back to this eventually. And I was curious Mm -hmm. what you were going to do because this story uh, comes to something of a uh, somewhere between a conclusion and an escalation um, in Mm -hmm. issue six. And then we're going to do the Jack Monroe reprise. Because it yes. feels mm-hmm. better here than at the beginning of our next stuff. When we come back, I want us to go right into it. Right. But I was really curious what you were going to do. Were you going to keep reading? I Would have we to have read a conversation? It's really, yeah, yeah, it's really hard for me to like, honestly, every week it is difficult for me to stop reading. But because I know that I will confuse what was in one issue and what was in the next, I don't want to blur those lines so that I can, you know, not talk about something that's coming in the next issue or in later issues and, you know, leave this, leave myself unspoiled for this experience. But I don't know that I can wait to read the rest of this until the next time. But the thing is, by the time you bring it back, I will have forgotten anyway. Like I will have read a million things between now and then. So like I will have forgotten most of it and I think I can do it again. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, it's so interesting and fun and crunchy and i really want to see how this whole thing turns out and what brew baker does with it mm-hmm. which you know which i absolutely love so uh on that note i'm gonna go into favorite art yeah you know from this week um my favorite page in this whole thing and there's a lot of good stuff um but i think that it's that panel it's the panel where karpov tells cap that russia has nothing but their winter and he walks away as cap watches him while the snow falls so beautifully mm-hmm. over the remains of this village you know it is so devastating it is such a punch in the gut moment and it is so incredibly powerful i love that it's one of my favorite panels of a comic ever you know like yeah. as i'm going through and starting to read more comics and starting to like really pull out what my favorite stuff is i think that may be one of my favorite moments I, I, I can't do anything. And I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff in this issue, but I'm with you. All I can do is say yeah. same as far as that panel mm-hmm. goes. Um, for me, it trips some of the same triggers as like really good noir fiction in that yeah. 
like I don't like true crime, but I love noir. And I think the difference there for me is true crime is real and has no poetry. Like, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. written crime, noir crime, yeah. or in this case, war stories or espionage stories get to have that ring of poetry to them where mm-hmm. we are saying something really um, accurate, really true that isn't factual. And and I think yeah. that happens real big right there with Karpov walking away from from Cap in the snow, the winter just hiding, oh, them, just separating and them it's entirely. So beautiful mm. the way that snow is drawn. That snow is drawn the way that you see it mm-hmm. in you know like Chris ads for Christmas and for right? like the representation of the beauty of winter. You know, the snow itself is beautiful and it is falling and it is going to cover the charred remains of this village. It's such a powerful moment. Honestly, one of the most powerful moments I think I've seen in comics and Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. Um, So going forward, what's your favorite part of the story? I tipped my hand a little bit earlier. I really Mm -hmm. enjoy the part where Cap muses about how this fight is like Tuesday, you know, for him and the invaders, but that it just Mm -hmm. must be wild for those Russian troops. And the reason Mm -hmm. I really like that is there, there have been a few stories that really take a very, uh, boots on the street, like street level view of superheroes so that we're following around somebody who's reporting on them or mm-hmm. just happens to be there all the time when superhero stuff is going on. Um, and I don't always love wallowing in that man in the street stuff, mm-hmm. but every now and then it is really, uh, at least for me, a powerful shock to be reminded that everybody in the Marvel universe does not ride on the shoulders of the superheroes like we do as the right. readers. Like Mm -hmm. imagining what it's like to be a person who just lives in Marvel, New York. I don't think that's Mm -hmm. interesting enough to carry a story nine times out of 10, but it is a really Mm -hmm. interesting backdrop for me to have like in my mind to be reminded of that shift. Right. Yeah. Right. It's really great. Really great. What about you, Lonnie? What's your favorite part of the story? Uh, My favorite part of the story is also the favorite piece of art. It is that moment. When uh, when Karpov says, all we have in Russia is our winter. And that winter was used as the weapon, you yes. know, that the Russians could, could withstand it, but other people not used to it couldn't. So the invading troops, if we just wait for winter, winter is our superhero, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and the, the bleakness of that, when Karpov is walking away... And he's like, you you know, and you can feel that sense of like, you know, we've judged him. You know, mm-hmm. we've judged this man based on what he's doing and how he's doing it. But when that's all you have, you know, when you are fighting for your life, you know, um, just trying to get through to the next next day, um, it, it gives us this it's incredibly humanizing moment for that character. Um, and I still think that those questions are very important. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, like justifying for the greater good is, is a real problem. Um, and we can go to very bad places and think often does. Um, but somebody who's gone there, you know, like Karpov has been through some shit, mm-hmm. like has seen some stuff and is basically, you know, a lot of these people are people that given the choice, given the luxury that I have, because I don't have to make those choices. So mm-hmm. I can just sit here and talk about how difficult they are. Somebody who's actually made those choices. Um, when you see the cost of those choices on their humanity, I mean, God, that it's just so freaking brutal. And that combined with discovering this eight-year-old kid, suck it up, kid, your mom's dead, let's move on. Um, it is, uh, it's just so beautifully done. And I really can't wait to see where we go with it next week. We'll be back next week with Captain America Winter Soldier issue number six, in which Captain America confronts his greatest failure. He also saves Agent 13, but in the process, the Cosmic Cube is empowered by Lucan. Cap has won a battle, but the war doesn't look good. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Anru and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish.